This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. UFC 281 is in the rearview mirror, and did it ever deliver? These cards at MSG, seems like there's something in the water, because time after time after time, they just seem to produce fireworks, and this past weekend's event might have been the best of the bunch in terms of entertainment, just sheer entertainment value. You know, top to bottom, is the card as strong as like a UFC 205, UFC 217? Probably not, but... Looking at the entertainment quotient, it was sky high on Saturday night. And the drama in the main event was palpable as Alex Pajera is your new UFC middleweight champion, defeating Israel Adesonia about two minutes into the fifth round in a fight that Israel was three minutes away from retaining his title. Even if it was a 10-8 round, would have been a draw and Israel would have walked away with it. Wow, just an unbelievable event, and I've been telling everybody that would listen, Alex Pereira is the real deal. This is a guy who is an, as elite a striker as we've ever seen in mixed martial arts. And I keep hearing people saying, oh, well, wait till he faces a Robert Whitaker or a grappler. This guy has the touch of death at any point in time, even if he's taken down and smothered for two rounds. That guy can land the left hook that puts anybody on this planet away. I don't care if they're a heavyweight. Any size. This guy is something different when it comes to striking. He is a phenom. And Israel's a phenomenal striker too. But Alex Pereira is something different. This is, uh, again, a two-division kickboxing champion fighting the best of the best year after year. Honing his craft now in mixed martial arts. And now he has won against Israel on three occasions. This was the first time in mixed martial arts. Two times prior in kickboxing. But this man is an absolute beast. And if you want to break that fight down, I thought Israel was doing a a great job at maintaining the distance, at hand fighting, at taking Alex out of his game, at nullifying his primary weapon, that left hook. He threw it on multiple occasions, and he, he was touching Israel here and there, but for the most part, Israel was nowhere to be found when he was throwing that left hook. In fact, not only that, Israel was able to take the left hook away from him for a lot of that fight where he was out of range because Alex utilized that left hook in close for the most part. So Alex getting Israel against the fence, especially when his mobility was compromised, if you got nowhere to go and that left hook is present, you are going down. You are going to lose. Again, I don't care if it's a a great grappler. If he has you in that predicament, it's a tough one to get out of. And I thought that Mark Goddard stopped the fight at the perfect time. You're looking at intelligent defense. Israel has his back to the fence. He is moving his head. He's but he's you know he's trying to circle. He circles right into Pereira's left. That's the shot that really rocked him. And then he's t- trying to move his head to get out of the way. But head movement isn't necessarily intelligent defense. If you're still getting tagged, even though you're moving, that still doesn't necessarily constitute intelligent defense. And the moment that it was clear that there was no intelligent defense, with his arms down, looking down at the mat, Mark Goddard steps in, and I thought it was the, a perfectly timed stoppage. I, I, anybody who I've seen is questioning that stoppage. Like, I don't know what more you wanted to see. 
Like that, that was not getting better anytime soon. And I know Israel would have wanted to fight out of it or try to go out on a shield or any of those things, but that's not what this sport's about. And that's not what refereeing's about. Refereeing is protecting the fighter. And that's what Mark Goddard did in that situation. Because if he doesn't step in there and Alex lands a knee up the middle or he lands an uppercut, Israel's going to sleep. Now, could Israel have gotten out of it? Could he have fought, fought out of it? 5% chance, maybe, at best. I'm not trying to t- dismiss Israel here. Israel's a, an elite fighter. He's the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world entering Saturday. So, I just don't see how he would have fought out of that, honestly. Like, could he have gotten out of the way? I don't know. He probably would have been better running away. Like, try to just get out of that spot, but I don't think he could have. Like he mentioned, his leg was compromised. So Alex takes advantage, and uh, kudos to his corner. Frenelli Feliz, Glover Teixeira, Polino Cruz. Willing him to enter that fifth round with everything on the line, saying, in five minutes you're going to be the champion. Only took two. Alex Pereira is your new middleweight champion of the world. Just one year after making his UFC debut. One of the fastest ascents to a championship you will ever see. Last time, I think Brock Lesnar might be the only one, really, that had a faster ascent. And that's in the heavyweight division where, let's face it, it's a little bit easier to win a championship in the heavyweight division. Especially if you've got a wrestling background. But Alex going through the three fights that he went through, starting last year in New York, Andreas Michalidis, Bruno Santos, Sean Strickland. Good stylistic matchups for him, for sure. But, I mean, beating those three guys doesn't prepare you to face a guy as good as Israel in MMA. And I think that him having the mental edge of those two kickboxing wins cannot be understated because sometimes in those situations, you'll count yourself out. You're entering the fifth round. You're down three to one. Whatever you're doing isn't working. He had gotten wrestled for a full round, grappled for a full round by Israel, nullified. Some people can mentally break, but when you know that you've beaten somebody before, you know you finished them before, especially after getting rocked in the round prior. And he got rocked by Israel in the first round of this fight. He knew that he could put Israel away. And that is an advantage that cannot be understated in a fight like this. Where all it takes is one little error on the part of either of these guys. And I don't even know if Israel made an error or if it was just that his leg was compromised and he couldn't rely on this, the movement that he is accustomed to having. Wasn't able to utilize his full speed. But be that as it may, Alex with uh, an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal win over Israel Adesanya. And he is the new middleweight champion of the world. What's next? I think it's got to be a rematch. If you don't agree with that, I don't know what you think is a fight that you should make. I mean, you got Whitaker versus Costa. Like, unless you just want to feel the sentiment of Robert Whitaker potentially recapturing the title, like, unless that's what you're after, it makes no sense for him to fight anybody but Israel because you got the bad blood. You had a close fight that Israel was winning. Israel wants to get back in there as soon as possible and avenge the loss. Like, there's just nothing here that would preclude the rematch from happening. 
And I think it's a rematch that sells. Like, if they need a big fight for that March pay-per-view, you book a rematch. If you want to go to Las Vegas, and you want to have a big fight for your first Vegas card of the year, well, first non-Apex Vegas card of the year, this is the one. Because what is it? It's November now. December, January, February, March. Four months. I think that's enough time for these guys to, to recover and to have another great, epic battle between these two guys. And Israel was saying all the right stuff. Israel wasn't making any excuses after the fact. I mean, the only excuse he was making is that Israel, that his leg was compromised by Alex, which isn't an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. And I like the way that he's reacted to this. I, I mean, I don't see how you could think otherwise. Just being grateful. Because being grateful is the opposite of being resentful. And being resentful brings emotion into it. And I'm sure that there is always going to be residual emotion when it comes to these two guys. But this this is the boogeyman. This is Israel's boogeyman. Who has returned. Who has just basically followed him into a new sport. And you see all these memes coming out. It's like when Israel goes to wrestling, it's Alex Pereira with the money in the bank or... Uh, Israel becomes a golfer, and you see Alex wearing, you know, a PGA a PGA uniform or whatever it is, golf clothing. It's got to haunt him. It's like I I think that this is the best approach for him is to just act like you know he's been there before because he has lost before. He's lost fights before. He's lost fights to this individual before, and he was close. He was close all three times. It's not like these were lopsided affairs. And that's what probably is the most painful thing about it, is like that he was right there. He was so close to winning. He could taste it. Man, but Alex Pereira, like, everybody's going to be talking about Israel, but like the story should be how good Alex Pereira is. This guy is just a a phenom. I mean, straight up. For him to come in, like, how old is he? I think he's 35. I'm going to look this up. I think he's turning 36. Yeah, he's 35, he's turning 36 in July. For him to come into the sport so late in his martial arts career, because prior to this, I mean, he had fought in 2015, 2016, took four years away from the sport. Takes four years away from MMA. So basically, he's only been training for MMA for like two and a half years since like that stint that he had in Jungle Fight back in 2016, 2015 pretty remarkable what he's been able to do like all the credit to Alex Pereira and he is your new UFC middleweight champion in the co-main event I didn't see anybody predict Carla Esparza to win this fight and I think we saw why there was no path like Zhang Wei Li by the way is your new uh, <laughs> women's strawweight champion second round submission but I did not see a path for Esparza in this fight you knew even if she took a grappling-heavy approach, like Zhang Veili is a phenomenal grappler. It's not like Carla Esparza is like an NCAA champion of some sort. She's got great wrestling credentials, but Zhang Veili has shown that her grappling is on point. And she is, once again, the women's strawweight champion. And uh, yeah, a great fight between these two. Great fight. Um, well... Not necessarily a great fight for Esparza, but I mean, Zhang Veili just showed an all-around game. And I was talking to the guys at Morning Combat. If you happen to listen to Morning Combat from uh, this past Monday, I was on with those guys, chopping it up, recapping the event. 
I think people are forgetting that Zhang Li is still human. Like, she still is not necessarily as good as she looks right now. Because I think against Esparza, that was a, a very lopsided stylistic matchup in her favor. And against Joanna, who had, what, two years off and seemingly had a foot out the door, Zhang Li dominated that fight. But against the up-and-comers, against Rose, against, you know, I don't know if she's going to look this good in her subsequent fights because I think that the level of competition that she's faced, no disrespect to either of those women, just have, have paled in comparison to the legitimate top to contenders of this division. The Amanda Lemoshes of the world, the... And I know Esparza, I believe, has a win over Marina Rodriguez, but Marina Rodriguez is coming on. Um, Jessica Andrade, even though Bailey beat her, I, th- I still think Jessica Andrade on any given night is as good as anybody in the world in, in this kind of division, even though she's now moving up to flyweight for her next fight. But And of course, Rose, who's beaten Bailey twice. She might be in a Israel Adesonia type situation where she tries to best Rose Namajunas. And she's saying she wants to fight next summer. She wants to take a little bit of time off. And I think that's good because you can now have a fight like a Lamosh versus Rose or an Andrade versus Rose where you can really determine who's next in line. And I'm, I'm just going to check out the rankings because I hope that I'm not forgetting anybody here in this women's strawweight division because I feel like I am. I feel like I'm forgetting uh, one of the contenders. Let's see, women's strawweight, who do we got? What do we got in the women's strawweight division? Lemos, Andrade, Rose, Carla. No, not really. Marina's number five. Yan Xiaonan is one that I, one name that I keep forgetting about because you could do a China versus China fight in China. <laughs> I mean, Zhang was saying that the UFC is looking at next summer to hold an event in China. But I think you can really, t- you know, shuffle the deck here. You have Yan Xiaonan face Lemos or Andrade or even Esparza. Again, rematch. I think there are a lot of possibilities. And personally, the rankings are kind of weird because they've, they've got Zhang as the champion. They've got Esparza at number one and Rose is number two. Now, I know Esparza beat Rose, but Rose also has two wins over Wei Li, one of which was a year ago. So do you take that utterly terrible performance from Rose and also a not super impressive performance from Esparza in her own right when they fought in Phoenix earlier in the year? Do you take that and... Just put that one performance over Rose's two wins over Whaley. Doesn't matter. I shouldn't be micro-analyzing these really nonsensical rankings. Like, I... Sometimes I just don't get them. Like, I, they don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, for example, Conor McGregor's still ranked at lightweight. Like, Conor McGregor's lone lightweight win was before Trump was the president. Like, it was the day after Trump won the election, or two days after Trump won the election. Like, that's how long it's been since McGregor has a lightweight win, and he's ranked 14th in the division. It's just baffling to me. Not to mention that I don't even know if he's an active fighter right now. Like, he's not in the USADA pool. Why is he in the rankings? I think it's actually would be better if they took him out of the rankings, because then you can be like, oh, well, we withdrew him, you know, inactivity, blah, 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 instead of having 14 next to his name. Like, if you're going to fast-track him and put him up against somebody high up in, in the lightweight rankings, or even the welterweight rankings, like, I don't know. It's just odd to me. But again, I don't want to micro, micro-analyze the, uh, the rankings. It seems like they just don't make a whole lot of sense, for the most part. 
And I think it's a weird process. But either way, Zhang Veili is your next champion. Is uh, your current champion, rather, at strawweight. Wins in dominant fashion. And then the fight of the night. And Dana White said prior to this card, like, you'd have to pry the fight of the night award away from these two because it was pretty much tailor-made to be fight of the night. Dustin Poirier defeats Michael Chandler. Two minutes into the third round. What a fight. What a war of attrition this was. And Dustin Poirier, like, I said this also in Morning Combat, like, this guy might be the best builder in UFC history. Just a guy who, as the fight goes on, continues to get better and better and figure out their his opponent and take advantage of any little opening that his opponent will give him. And Chandler was ra- rocking him in the first and, you know, looked really good early on. And then Poirier, to end the round, just puts it on him. All three judges give Poirier the first round. I think that's the right call because, you know, 10 more seconds, Poirier probably wins that fight in the first round. Chandler then smartly goes to his wrestling in the second, controls Poirier, and then in the third round seems pretty exhausted and uh, ends up giving a a submission to uh, Dustin Poirier. So now you look at the lightweight division. And as uh, my colleague Nick Baldwin recently, uh, you know, pointed out today, you've got the number one pound-for-pound and the number two pound-for-pound fight now booked for February with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky against Islam Makhachev. But looking at the lightweight rankings, you've got Makhachev as the champion, Oliveira one, Poirier number two, Gaethje three, Darius number four. Curious to see how they book it from here, but uh, would love to see Darius versus Poirier to me seems like the, the fight to make. That seems like the right way to do it. Then I would take Oliveira and match him up with like a, a Rafael Faziev and see how that goes, or Rafael Faziev, he's not Brazilian. I think that would be interesting. Or you rebook Oliveira Gaethje or something along those lines. Like The problem is a lot of these guys have faced each other already. You, you might even be able to do Oliveira versus Darius and Poirier versus Gaethje. You know, like there's just a lot of options right now in the lightweight division, and all of them are exciting options, mind you. All very exciting options. Because this division at the very top, I'll say from 13 up, you just take them, take the names, throw them in a hat, and pull them out, and you're going to have good matchups. So, kudos to Dustin Poirier back in the win column, reminding everybody just how good he is. And, you know, Michael Chandler, this guy just is always in exciting fights. And I was, again, I'll go back to what I said on Morning Combat, because a lot of that stuff I would have discussed here. And we'll discuss here. I just feel like, you know, and, and my colleague Robin Black said it over the weekend, like Chandler's, he's fighting for bonuses. He's fighting to be exciting. He's fighting to be a, a, a crowd pleaser. But that doesn't necessarily lead to wins. And now he's 2-3 and three in the UFC with losses to really great fighters, mind you. I mean, like he beat Hooker. He beat Tony Ferguson. Losses come to Poirier, Oliveira, and Gaethje. I mean, like you're talking about top lightweights in the world. Like, I don't know if... I think the door might be closing on Chandler being a potential champion. Chandler, 36 years old, turning 37 in April. Window might be closed for him to ever be a UFC champion, but in terms of maximizing his earning potential, oh, he's done that. He's in exciting fights, probably the front runner to face Conor McGregor next, if I had to guess. This guy coming into the UFC is going to have earned... A lot of money in very little time. So if that's what his goal is, he is fighting in the right way. <laughs> but if his goal is to be the champion, 
I mean, gas pedaling Dustin Poirier doesn't seem like the best plan of attack, knowing how Dustin Poirier fights. Then again, if you know that Poirier is a good builder, maybe you do want to get him out in the first round before he gets that momentum. We've seen it happen to him before. Many years ago, mind you, but nevertheless. Chris Gutierrez defeats Frankie Edgar in one of the most painful moments in UFC history, in my opinion. Just painful. The way Frankie Edgar dropped, and we're talking at MSG, in his last fight, was like watching a tragedy unfold. There's no reason why you book him against Chris Gutierrez. It makes no sense to me. Like, you look at you look at the bantamweight rankings right now. I mean, Gutierrez is ranked now, but there are so many other names you could have put him up against. I know he's already fought Pedro Munoz, but like a Dominic Cruz. Uriah Faber would have been a great one, I think, too. I think that would have probably been my preference. Put him against somebody older. Put him against a veteran. Put him against Rafael Asuncao. Like, there are so many other people you can put him in there that, you know, that aren't guys that are, you know, pretty young in their career. And it's not like Gutierrez is known for having knockout power. He's 31. It's not like he's, like, this crazy prospect. But, like, you're going to use Frankie Edgar to build up Chris Gutierrez? Like, I, I just don't see... I don't see it. Like, I don't see the point. Give the fans something to wa- to leave the garden excited about. Not that they they aren't after this card anyways, but personally, I think you take Edgar, you put him up against Uriah Faber. I think that's a, a fight that makes sense. I'd say Cody Garbrandt, but Cody Garbrandt and Edgar train together, so that's not a great one either. But, you know, Frankie Edgar is a legend, and for him to go out like that, I think is just it's pretty sad. But let's let's talk a little bit about this guy's legendary career because I think for a time he was the greatest lightweight in UFC history after his title run. You look at how he started off in the UFC. Starts off his career eight and one with the lone loss coming to Gray Maynard. He then wins the championship, defeats BJ Penn, who at the time was the greatest lightweight of all time, in back to back fights. You know a lot of people didn't agree with those decisions, but be that as it may, it will always count as a win on his record. Then a draw against, split draw against Gray Maynard, and then knocks out Gray Maynard in the fourth round of their rematch, immediate rematch. He had a weird strength, a weird schedule at that time. BJ Penn, BJ Penn, Gray Maynard, Gray Maynard, Benson Henderson, Benson Henderson. Lost twice to Benson Henderson. Again, also decisions that not everybody agreed with. But to that point... I think the title defense over BJ Penn, and then the two defenses, it still counts as a defense if it's a draw against Gray Maynard, I think are, you know, those were phenomenal fights. And based on the fact that he can make bantamweight for him to be a lightweight champion, pretty remarkable. Moves down to featherweight, loses to Aldo, then breezes through the next five fights. Mind you, these five fights are Charles Oliveira, BJ Penn, Cub Swanson, the first matchup with Faber. I mean, well, it's the only matchup with Faber, but I would have liked to see a rematch. And then Chad Mendez. Like, those those are five incredible wins. BJ Penn might not have been what he was, you know, in that second, in that third fight, I guess. But, I mean, Charles Oliveira, look what he became. 
Cub Swanson is an absolute monster. Like back then, 2014, Cub Swanson. We're talking about Faber in 2015. So Faber was like in his mid to late 30s at the time. Chad Mendez. That, uh, knocking out Chad Mendez in 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Like, are you kidding? Chad Mendez, in my opinion, is a top 5 all-time bantamweight. Or at least, in, or featherweight rather, at least in the conversation. Like, he's definitely in the top 10. Then he loses to Aldo. They fight for the interim featherweight championship, which would ultimately become the undisputed featherweight championship at UFC 200. Beats Jeremy Stevens. Utterly dominates Yair Rodriguez. And we're talking about five years ago. But Yair Rodriguez was a big up and coming prospect. And then it starts to go downhill. Then his chin gets cracked by Brian Ortega. I think that's the first time he was ever knocked out in a fight was against Brian Ortega. And that kind of was the first domino to fall in his you know, late career. Rematch with Cubs Swanson wins a unanimous decision. Ends up fighting for the featherweight championship against Max Holloway in the last pay-per-view to take place in Canada, mind you. That was the last time we had a pay-per-view in Canada. July 27th, 2019. Three plus years ago. Holloway Edgar. And from there, again, a little bit downhill. Gets knocked out by Korean Zombie. He said he was going to move to Bantamweight. Gets the short notice assignment against Korean Zombie. Gets knocked out badly. Then he makes the move to Bantamweight. Split decision win over Pedro Munoz. Kind of a controversial decision at the time. And then three knockout losses in a row. Sanhagen, Vera, and Gutierrez. And that's all she wrote. And, um, you know, it's hard not to think about the recent fights of Frankie Edgar's career. And that he's ending his career 24 and 11. But there was a time where he was, you know, 23-6-1 with wins over some of the greatest of all time. So let's give uh, Ranky Edgar his flowers. He's a, a lock to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. An absolute lock. And he absolutely deserves it. Like, to, to see that a man of that size won the lightweight championship and not only won it, but defended it on several occasions. And it's pretty remarkable stuff, honestly. It really is. Can't be overstated how impressive that is when you see... Like, I've stood next to a lot of these 55ers. They're huge compared to Frankie Edgar. All right. Speaking of huge lightweights, even though he just fought a featherweight prior to this, Dan Hooker defeats Claudio Pueyes. Four minutes and six seconds into the second round. It seemed like as soon as Pueyes was unable to lock in that knee bar, Dan Hooker just took over. And we finally got to see the Dan Hooker that everybody knew was in there. We were all hoping that Dan Hooker was still in there. Because he was 1-4 in in his previous five prior to that. Mind you, the losses are to Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Islam Makhachev, and Arnold Allen. So you can't really take much away from that. But it's nice to see that Dan Hooker can still fight in that fashion. Because you worry about a guy like that after knockout losses like the ones mentioned or the wars like the Poirier fight. You worry that the chin's been cracked, that he's compromised. He's not going to be the same fighter. But against Claudio Pueyes, he, he sure proved that he still has that dog in him. So Dan Hooker, congrats on, uh, on the win. Henato Moicano now ranked number 13 after a win over Brad Riddell with one of the uh, more electric post-fight speeches that we've seen in some time. He was just calling for everything ever. He was saying what he wanted. He wants more money. He wants to be ranked. He, you know, hopefully gets everything that he asks for. And he also wants Moicano on his trunks. He mentioned that to me in his post-fight interview, as well as other post-fight interviews that he did. 
So let's let's give Hinato Moikano what he wants, shall we? This guy is a stud. Great fighter. And, you know, people forget he fought Rafael Dos Anjos coming off of his couch. Fought him tough for five rounds. I mean, pretty clear win for Dos Anjos, but still, to do that, it's pretty impressive. So now Moikano is, since moving to lightweight, is 3-2, and two, lost to Rafael Faziv, who's a top 10 ranked fighter, and Rafael Dos Anjos, who is also ranked, I believe. Even though Dos Anjos now moving up to 170 to face Brian Barberena. I believe that's next week in Orlando. Ryan Spann with a very devastating knockout of Dominic Reyes. Spann misses weight, but, you know, that's... I don't know where Dominic Reyes goes from here. Like, I hope that he can come back and, and get a win because he needs one. He needs one to, I think, for his own mental well-being in terms of the sport if he wants to continue fighting. Like, I think he needs to prove that he can still hang with some some of the 205ers, but... You know, Ryan Spann, when he's on, he's on. He's a tough guy to beat. And I think that Ryan Spann, right now, age 31, he's got a very bright future going forward. 3-1 and one in his last four. Lone loss was to Anthony Smith. Didn't look himself in that fight. But wins over Misha Surkinov, Dominic Reyes, and Iwan Kutilaba. Ryan Spann, when he's on, he's on. And I think that uh, he, he needs to step up in competition once more like he did with Anthony Smith. Aaron Blanchfield defeats Molly McCann. First round submission. This was an absolute... You can say Molly Whopping because it's Molly McCann. But it was an absolute Molly Whopping. It was just a one-sided beatdown for this young prospect, Aaron Blanchfield, who is only 23 years of age. Her nickname is Cold-Blooded, and it's, uh, it's a great nickname for her because that's what she is. She's just like, when you talk to her, she's just so even keel. Just like very, very even. Doesn't seem to get emotional. She just wants to get in there and perform. She's an athlete. And that's the way that she approaches the sport. This is a sport for her. She wants to you know, prove that she's more skilled than her opponents. And she did that against Molly McCann. And thankfully... There's something that the people that did the rankings did right. She ended up in the top 10. Because it drives me crazy when people perform like that. I actually would put her higher. Like, if I was doing the rankings, if I was, if, if it, this was Aaron Bronstetter's rankings and I was building them myself, let me take a look at the, the women's flyweight division. I would have her at like number seven below Jessica Andrade. Like, I put her ahead of Viviana Araujo. We've never seen Viviana Araujo perform like that in a fight. You don't think... If Aaron Blanchfield was was matched up against Andrea Lee, Jennifer Maya, or Viviana Araujo, she's at least a 3-to-1 favorite against all three of those women, in my opinion. So, all the credit to Aaron Blanchfield, and I think that she has the makings of a future champion if she's this good at 23 years of age. Andre Petrosky defeats Wellington Terman. This was the last decision of the card. The other two decisions took place at the early prelims. Man, Petrosky's good. And I spoke to him after the fight, and he was like, I'm glad I could prove to myself that, you know, he, he said he emptied the tank in the first round and was still able to, to make it all the way to the final bell and get a 30-27, 30-27, 29-28 decision win over Terman. 
And this guy keeps calling for Bo Nickel, so match him up. Like, that's a great test for Bo Nickel. I know he's facing Jamie Pickett next month, but that's a, that would be a great next matchup. And Petrosky's a guy off the Ultimate Fighter. Like, are they worried about matching Bo Nickel up against Andre Petrosky? I think that'd be a phenomenal matchup. You got College Station versus Philadelphia. All right, the early prelims, Matt Fravola, the steamroller. Beautiful knockout of Otman Azaitar. Great to see him do that in his backyard. And he was on cloud nine after that fight. Karolina Kovalkiewicz defeats Silvana Gomez-Juarez. Some weird scorecard stuff at the end of the fight where they're kind of tabulating it or doing something to correct it in the cage. But ultimately, the correct decision was read out, apparently. 29-28 across the board for Kovalkiewicz. This was an absolute war. Mike Trezano defeats Sung Woo Choi. And I think people need to realize the stakes for Trezano going into this fight because he was on the last fight of his contract. He had missed weight, weighing it at 147.6. And his teammate had just lost Julio Arce. Coming off a loss to Montel Jackson. Plus, he was on a two-fight losing streak. You would never know that all of that was... uh, stacked against him in this fight because he looked phenomenal. They had, there was actually the rare double knockdown in that uh, that fight. Those are always fun to see. But Trezano, if there was going to be a fight of the night that wasn't Poirier Gaethje, or sorry, Poirier versus Chandler, it would have been this. Montel Jackson defeats Julio Arce. Unanimous decision. And Carlos Alberg opened up the night on a positive note. Unfortunately, the night ended on a negative note for City Kickboxing, but he defeats Nikolai Negumarianu three minutes and 44 seconds in the first round. Bonuses went to Fight of the Night, of course, Poirier versus Chandler, as I mentioned. And performance bonuses to the two new champions of the world, Alex Pereira and Zhang Veili. And it was the most finishes in a single UFC event, tied for 11 and tied the record for the most first-round finishes with seven. So, historical night on many fronts. Also, the second highest gate in MSG history. Number one was UFC 205, but this did a better gate than UFC 217, which had like GSP versus Bisping, Rose versus Joanna, Cody versus TJ. Like This card did better than that. That's phenomenal. And it's not like this was the first card back at MSG after the pandemic. They were there last year, too. $11.5 million gate. Beautiful. If you're the UFC. Love to see a number like that. And now we uh, we can move on to the next card as with the UFC is back at the apex. Weird to go from, uh, you know, it's weird. You got a great card at MSG and then you go back to the apex. And Bellator's got a great card on Friday as well. We can talk about that. But the main event on this card pits Derek Lewis against Sergey Spivak. Spivak is a minus 215 favorite right now. Come back on Lewis plus 164. And uh, this is going to be an interesting one because I think it's basically knockout or bust for Derek Lewis as it so often is in his fights. I'm eager to see how this one plays out. I mean, I thought that the Spivak KO line would be shorter than the Spivak submission line. The Spivak submission line is like 4-1. to one. If you can get it at that price, that's that's the value in this fight. You bet him by submission or Lewis by KO. And just, I think one of those is going to come through. 
But there also, of course, is the possibility of Spivak getting a uh, uh, KO or TKO. Fight goes to decision plus 400. You'd love to see that if you uh, won an exciting main event. But sometimes those that happens. You have like a fight goes to... There's no way this goes to a decision. It was like Tiago Santos versus uh, Johnny Walker. Went to, a, went to a decision. I don't think this one does, though. I think this is a pretty safe bet for this fight to not go to a decision. And that's why it's minus 600. But that's a uh, that's a fun fight. I think Spivak, if he can get this to fight to the ground, we have seen Derek Lewis get up. Like he's he's powerful off of his back in terms of just being able to out muscle opponents. But Spivak has great control, and I think that if Spivak gets him down to the ground, like it could be a, a quick night at the office for him. But then again, with Derek Lewis, all it takes is one, and it can be a quick night at the office for him too. That's what makes this such a volatile fight. I think the line is probably perfect for this fight. Spivak, kind of an up and comer. On a roll right now. If you take a look at Spivak. In his most recent fights. He's won two in a row. Agatha Sakai and Greg Hardy. Lost to Tom Aspinall. But three in a row before that. With Carlos Felipe. Jared Vandera. And Alexei Olenek. Arguably has not beaten anybody as good as Derek Lewis before though. Oh actually. You know what? He has a win over Tai Tuivasa. Who's currently, who, who has a win over Derek Lewis. So I take that back. I forgot about that. So, that's a, a really interesting fight. Derek Lewis right now has lost three of his last four, but losses to Sergei Pavlovich, who's an absolute hammer, Tai Tuivasa, and Cyril Gaon. That being said, he had won four in a row prior to that, so you can I can either say he's one and three in his last four, or he's five and three in his last eight. Just depends how you want to frame it. Or five and five in his last ten. All of these things are true. But if you're looking at the recent fights, he's one and three in his last four. This is going to be a tough one for uh, for both these guys stylistically. Uh, like I think Spivak has to mind his p's and q's. But if he can get Derek Lewis to the ground, I think uh, we could see uh, another submission for Sergey Spivak. The co-main event: Iwan Kutelaba taking on Kennedy and Zechukwu. And Zechukwu a minus one eighty-six favorite. That's probably about where the line should be for this as well. I might look at the Inzechukwu wins in round 3 prop because it's hit for me on multiple occasions. He has, I think he has like more like 2 or 3 third round victories. Doesn't necessarily have the best power early on, but uh, seems to be somebody who's kind of a builder. He has 1, 2, 3... Well, actually, that's a decision. 1, 2... 2 third round wins in his last 4 fights. His last two wins have been in the third round. And then his win over Carlos Alberg was in the second round. So this is somebody who uh, tends to find finishes in the later rounds. And that said, Kutelaba is no joke either. I mean, Kutelaba, the problem with him right now is he's lost two in a row. But again, to Ryan Spann and Johnny Walker, I mean, no, you know. But then again, you look at the other fights, he's only has one win in his last... Six fights. It's all about framing once again. These are tough opponents, though. Chase Sherman against Waldo Cortez Acosta. I feel like these guys just fought. Not each other, but like on recent cards. Maybe they were on the same card. I know Vendera fought against Cortez Acosta a couple weeks back, and Chase Sherman fought a couple weeks back as well, and I believe got a win. Yeah, he... Sorry, Chase Sherman beat Jared Vendera. 
And he was supposed to face Josh Parisian. That's what it was. He was supposed to face Josh Parisian two weeks ago. And Parisian pulled out of the fight hours beforehand. I actually like Chase Sherman to win this fight, shockingly. I think Cortez Acosta took it. His legs took a beating in that last fight. Might take the over one and a half in that. It's minus 142. I think this fight goes over. I might take a look at the Sherman wins by decision or Sherman round three props. But uh, we will see. I've got to do a little bit more studying on that one. But I, I think that Sherman will be the fresher fighter. Andre Fialyu is a small favorite minus, oh sorry, small underdog minus 104. Muslim Salikov minus 122. Thanks to our uh, odds are provided by our friends over at FanDuel. Yeah, I, you know, Andre Fialyu has been an absolute hammer since coming to the UFC, but it's all striking. And if you're going to put him in a bout against an elite striker like Salikov, I'm eager to see what happens because I think Salikov ha- will have a striking advantage and I don't think this fight goes to the ground at all. So I'd have to lean Salikov in this fight. I just think that in order to beat Salikov, you really need to have big power. And Fialio does have big power, but does he have the technique to go with it that's going to allow him to find those openings? I, I don't know if he necessarily does. Jack Della Madalena, minus 520. Danny Hot Sauce Roberts, plus 350. I might look at the Madalena decision prop on that one, honestly. But we'll see. I mean, Danny Roberts has been uh, hes been put out several times before. But, uh, you know, Dela Madalena is, again, another one of these guys that's kind of a builder. He's somebody who, and I, I'm sure people are going to listen to the show and say you keep using that term. But it's kind of what he is. He's good at finding openings. He's good at, good at breaking down his opponent bit by bit. We found out that Rodolfo Vieira versus uh, Cody Brundage is off this card. Charles Johnson against Zhalgas Zhumagulov. Johnson minus 172. Zhumagulov plus 134. I like the Zhumagulov side here. I mean, you've got Johnson coming from LFA. looked great uh, in the regional scene. But Zhumagulov's coming off of a fight where that he nearly beat a, a ranked guy in Jeff Molina. A lot of people thought he won that fight. So Zhumagulov, I think, uh, will be very game here. And uh, to get him at an underdog price, I think that's the way to go. Marina Moroz, minus 186. Jennifer Maya, plus 144. Moroz has looked really good lately. But the physicality of Jennifer Maya is going to make this a tough ask, I think. I think this fight goes to a decision, though. I think that... uh, And if it does, I mean, you look at the Maya by decision prop. If you can get that at a good price, I think you might want to go in that direction. If you think that Maya is going to... I think Maya is going to be the physically stronger of the two. But there's also, you know, both these both these women, you know, I think Maya hits hard and Rose is really good at, at finding submissions. So that's another way you could look at it is the uh, the Moreau's submission prop if you can find a good number on that. But that being said, I don't think I don't know if she submits Maya. Ricky Tercios minus one sixty, Kevin Natividad plus one twenty four. You know, after Tercios' last fight, I'm not sure if you can go that way and take him at minus one sixty. It just he wasn't at his best in that fight, and it just looked like he gave that fight away to Eamon Zahabi. You know, Zahabi was on point. Tercios was doing all kinds of weird histrionics, and it ended up costing him the fight. So, I don't, I don't know if a dog or pass or just pass altogether. I'll be passing. Miles Johns minus one fifty eight. Vince Morales plus one twenty four. Not really sure how to go with this one. I, like, I think Johns needs to find the finish if he wants to win this fight. 
So you could take Johns and scorecards equals no action. But that's got a minus 200 price tag on it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly the best direction to go in with this one. But you could also take the uh, the fight doesn't go to a decision. There's like plus 100. I think there's a good chance we see a finish in that one. Maria Oliveira against Vanessa Demopoulos. Oliveira minus 130. Demopoulos plus 102. You know, I think I like the Oliveira side here. She she looked really good in her last fight. She's going to have a big reach advantage. I think that uh, stylistically, she's not a very good matchup for Demopoulos. I think Demopoulos has a lot of good skills. She's able to find submissions, but I think Oliveira will be able to stave them off. Um, I think this one goes to a decision. I think Oliveira gets the decision. That's the way that I would approach that one. I don't think we see a finish in that one, but you might might just take Oliveira straight up. Like a, if you can get her a minus one thirty. I think the decision pops plus one thirty. You may as well just kick for coverage. Just take her straight up in case she's able to find the finish. Maybe she overwhelms Demopolis and uh, is able to find something. Brady Heastan minus one sixty two. Fernie Garcia plus one twenty six. You know Brady Heastan looks like a really solid prospect. Um, I would lean him in this fight, but uh, I kind of want to wait and see see how he does. Natalia Silva minus one eighty six. Teresa Bleda plus one forty four. Silva looked phenomenal in her fight against Jasmine Jazudavicius in her last fight. Bleda looked good on Contender Series, and if you you know I spoke to some people from Czechia, and they they say that Bleda is a really really good prospect. So. Yeah, this this one's one of those ones that I would just kind of stay away. If you can get a good line on either of them by decision, but I don't think you'll probably be able to, that might be the way to look at it. But yeah, that's a tough fight to call. I think one of these, both these women are really good prospects. I think we're going to see more of them in the future, regardless of who wins. So that's the uh, UFC card. And then over on the Bellator side, You've got the rematch between Corey Anderson and Vadim Nemkov. My have things changed in terms of the line for this. Corey Anderson, who was very close to getting the win in the last fight, now minus 240. I still think he wins this fight, but you might have to take Nemkov for the value. Like Nemkov is still a really good fighter. <coughs> Pardon me. I came back from New York and have uh, just been, been battling. <clears throat> I... I uh, Stayed at the Hyatt House in Chelsea, in New York. And at 5 a.m., someone pulled the fire alarm the night before UFC 281. And I was on the 28th floor. Walked down 28 stories to get out of the hotel at 5 a.m. Then walked up 28 stories to get back to my room at 5.30 a.m. Thankfully, walking back up those stairs allowed me to go back to sleep because I was exhausted. But I think my my body is still recovering from... uh, from the weird sleep schedule that you have to have because official weigh-ins start at like 9 a.m. So I have to wake up at 7 a.m. on the Friday. And then you have to try to sleep in on the Saturday so that you can stay awake till 3.30 a.m. on the night of the event. Very, very counterproductive. Much easier on the West Coast. So I did what I could, but I, I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it all right. I'm just worn down. I'm a beaten man. The lightweight championship is on the line. Usman Nurmagomedov minus five sixty. Patriki Pitbull plus three forty. Uh, I like Usman Nurmagomedov to become the new lightweight champion. Still super young, but he could hold that title for a long, long, long time. We've got some up and coming prospects in that division, and you got like AJ McKee coming up as well. He's been fighting at fifty five. 
That's a fight that I want to see. Usman Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee is one of the biggest fights they can make right now in uh, Bellator. Those are the big fights. I don't really have a strong feel on uh, any of the other ones, but it's a really nice card from top to bottom. Solid fights in the uh, prelims, and then the main card is really, really good too. So, Solid fi- solid card from Bellator this uh, this Friday night. Bellator 288. And next week, we got the PFL Championship on deck. And the UFC. Well, actually, uh, is that an off week next week for the UFC? Hmm. That's interesting. I thought they were in Orlando next week. But perhaps I'm incorrect. Yeah, next week there is no UFC card. The uh, UFC is not in Orlando until December 3rd. So I stand corrected. I thought I was leaving in two weeks to go to Vegas. But maybe it's actually three weeks. That changes a lot of things, but... Either way, I shouldn't be talking about my calendar uh, on the show. I don't think people care all that much about it. If you do, I thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. But I'm eager to see how uh, things play out in that PFL championship. A lot of good fights. I think the Pacheco versus uh, Kayla Harrison fight is going to be really good. Harrison's a pretty big favorite. I think she'll be an even bigger favorite when the fight goes off. But I think if anybody in the PFL can beat Harrison, even though she's lost to her twice, I believe, I think Larissa Pacheco is the uh, the only one with the capability to do it. One more thing to get to. Uh, of course, unfortunately, you know, after I came back from UFC 279 in Vegas, I had learned of uh, the passing of Elias Theodoru, which was, uh, of course, tragic. And uh, now coming back from UFC 281... We learn of the passing of uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, just 38 years of age. Uh, not much more to say other than you you always hate to see people die at such a young age, having to go through those kind of medical issues. And uh, yeah, it, it's just hard to sum up into words how sad it is when, when people that are still young in their life pass away. I didn't know Rumble you know, I can't tell you any great stories about you know any of my interactions with him. I think I only covered one of his fights, which was the uh, the Buffalo card against uh, DC. I probably interviewed him there. It's just so long ago that I, I barely remember. But from his fighting career, I mean, this guy just had the touch of death. If, you know, I was talking about Pereira having the touch of death earlier. Rumble Johnson is probably pound for pound the heaviest hitter in UFC history. I mean, Knocked out Glover Teixeira in 13 seconds after Glover hadn't been knocked out since his debut, I think 12 years prior to that. Was the first person to knock out Alexander Gustafsson. Also, I believe, in the first round. Did it in Stockholm, of all places as well, in front of his home crowd. Just silenced them. If you can remember how quiet that crowd... Like, that might be the most quiet crowd you'll ever hear. If you go back to Fight Pass and watch that Stockholm card... Oh, man. You could hear a pin drop in that place, it seemed like, on uh, on the broadcast. So uh, rest in peace, Rumble Johnson, and my condolences to anybody who was close to uh, to Rumble. Um, I know his uh, manager, Ali Abdelaziz, said he was heartbroken. And uh, a lot of his training partners, of course, have sent out messages uh, with some stories about Rumble. So, yeah, it's uh, always tough to see when uh, someone so young in, in their life 
is uh, taken from this uh, this planet and uh, from his friends and family. So condolences to uh, all those who uh, knew and were close to uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson. And finally, to close out on the uh, matchup front, UFC 282 in Australia, or sorry, uh, 284 rather in Australia, added two really big fights, one of which was expected, which was the uh, the headlining bout, Islam Makhachev, the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world, defending his lightweight championship against the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. And the surprising one that was added, Yair Rodriguez, I'd heard rumblings about it uh, during fight week, versus Josh Emmett for the interim featherweight championship. Very, very interesting matchmaking because I think a lot of people thought Arnold Allen would have been selected for that designation, but Arnold Allen is battling a hand injury. So he's back playing the waiting game despite his crazy long win streak. But Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett is going to be a great fight. Excited for that one. And that joins Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa on that card as well. Card's starting to shape up. And they're still looking, it seems, to add a big fight to UFC 283. You've got the headliner, the, the quadrilogy. Davis and Figueredo against Brandon Moreno. But the rest of the card, I mean, you got Jessica Andrade versus Lauren Murphy. Good, good fight. You've got the debut of the Bonfim brothers. JL10 Almeida on the card. Supposedly facing Shamil Abdurakhimov. I'll believe it when I see it. But it looks like they're going to be adding uh, one more big fight to that card. If I had to guess, I would think it would be Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal. That's just a guess. But uh, I don't have any inside information on that one. I just think that that's... I mean, I know that Burns has said that Masvidal turned that down. But that would be a great fight to add to that card. And if Masvidal doesn't want to fight Burns, I expect Burns to be facing somebody really good on that card anyways. So, let's see how that one plays out. But... uh, that's how UFC 283 is shaping up right now. All right. That should do it for us. For any of my interviews this week, I'm going to be speaking to some of the fighters on this weekend's card. I don't think I'm going to put it out in audio format, but you can go to tsn.ca slash UFC for those interviews. I appreciate you joining me here on the TSN MMA show. You can find all of my work at www.aaron.report. So until next week, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.